Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. I am the resurrection life. Let's welcome him to the platform. So this weekend, we had a wonderful opportunity to come together uh, with a bunch of young men and women um, from many different walks of life, and we did an encounter weekend. Uh, I love when my wife gets up and talks about Beautifully Broken, my favorite lesson, but I'm a little biased. But um, our team did a fantastic job, and if uh, you guys can come up, Manuela. So they're going to share a little testimony of what God did for them on the weekend, but I just say, for me, it's a privilege and an honor to serve alongside our team. Uh, I love the unity that they're flowing in right now. I love the oneness. I love the lack of strife and division. I love that the kitchen crew comes in and cooks good food under... uh, the direction of uh, Norm, and I think Bill was in there too, and a bunch of other people that just came and served. So enough about that, and I'm going to let you guys talk, so go, go ahead. Hello, everyone. My name is Manuela. Please bear with me. I'm very shy. Anyways, so... Uh, <laughs> so this weekend, I... I don't even know where to start, and I'm just so grateful that I got to be there at this encounter because I have experienced the Lord like I've never, ever did in my whole entire life. So I wrote something, and I would just try to read it. So this encounter was an amazing experience. I encountered God like I never, ever did before since I gave my life to Christ. I never thought God would reveal himself to me, but one thing for sure, I was hungry for his presence. This month was the essence of the fire God prepared to set in me, and yesterday, I just couldn't keep it together. I gave my life to Christ on July 2020, and ever since, I've gone through so many ups and downs, so many brokenness and hurts, and some downs that completely led me away from him. I cursed him, I blamed him like I never did before. As I started to crawl back to him, I was carrying so much hurt, guilt, and shame, and I felt so undeserving of his mercy and grace. And I was even telling Kimberly and Rachel that God did not deserve me as his servant. I just couldn't help the fact that I could be forgiven because I didn't allow God to love me. Okay. I am a person sorry. I am a person who struggles so much with self-esteem and it is very hard for me to value myself. Therefore, it was easy for me to let the lies of the enemy become my truth. Despite all of this, um, there was still a little hope in my heart that the Lord could change me. 
my identity and my story, which, which led me to this weekend, 48 hours ago before the encounter. I started reconsidering coming again, but then I was holding so much onto experiencing the goodness of the Lord, and I told him that the next thought of this encounter will be a testimony, which led me here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Almost every part of me, almost every part wrecked me, but there was a particular particularly in the first session, which was the cross, and the other session, which was the Holy Spirit. At the cross, I allow God, I allow God sorry, to work through me and just give me the strength to let go, let go of the shame, the guilt, and everything that was stopping me from dwelling in his love. So I did. Then came the session of the Holy Spirit. In this session, I can testify that God used the little faith that I had to show me that he is able to do great things with me. I never encountered the Holy Spirit before, and I told the guides how desperately I've been wanting to speak in tongues. And see, my problem is that I am an overthinker, and I was trying to understand too much um, where the Lord, again, just wanted me to let go. I was scared and I wouldn't be able to do so because I was thinking too much. But God in his mercy allowed me to do so and my prayers have been answered and I got to speak in tongues for the very first time. Amen. I, <laughs> I come out of this weekend on fire for the Lord like I've never been my entire life. And I am thankful for this program, for this church, the leaders and everyone here. So thank you. Um, so actually, I think I could talk um, or share my testimony for straight up 10 minutes, but I don't have that time. Um, so I'm just going to cut it short and say it in two minutes. Um, hello, everybody. Most of you know me as Grace, but my actual full name is Grace Lynn. And for about 30 years of my life, um, I didn't really know who I was, what my identity was. Um, not many people from where I came from spoke about things like identity or fellowship or, you know, just brokenness or anything like that. Um, I didn't know what my name meant. And I used to hate my name for so many reasons, actually. A few weeks before the encounter, I felt God talking to me about identity and about brokenness. Um, and I asked God, God, what is my name? What is my new name? And he showed me um, three ways, the middle of the middle ways, which was broken and fixed together with gold. Um, if you know, it's called kintsugi, a Japanese um, art of fixing uh, broken pottery. And he asked me which of these stands out to you. And I said the middle one. And he said, well, 
that looks special to you because you're an artist and you can see the work and meaning behind it. And that race is you. You are my work of art and I'm gonna pick all your broken pieces up one by one and join them back together. And, I'm <laughs> and once I'm done building you, I'm gonna give you a new name. I'm the artist and you are beautiful and more valued in my eyes, even though you are broken. And gosh, I was broken. Two and a half years back, I lost my dad to COVID. And that pe time period was the most devastating time of my life. I had so many questions, one of which was, why God did you have to take him the way that you did? Um, he could have died peacefully in his sleep or some other way, I thought it was unfair. Um, yesterday at the encounter, the first session was about the cross and there was this video, a movie clip from Passion of the Christ and it was showing Christ's sufferings. And, I, and it just broke me that I've been so selfish and I had no right to ask God why. Well, God, like it's funny that he has a way of answering our questions with another question. Um, he asked me, was that fair? And it isn't. You know, grace is unfair. Um, right after that, um, continuing those sessions, there was the session um, that Pastor Mary was talking about, and she also demonstrated about beautifully broken. And that was exactly what God was talking to me even before the encounter. And it just put my first piece in place, and I felt God sealing that. For about two and a half years, I've been stuck um, in the same place, spiritually and um, in a lot of other things in my life. And when I came in the front and there was this cross and I surrendered, um, I knelt down and I um, surrendered to God, I, I had a conversation with God and it ended like this. He said, let's walk together. He didn't say that I'm here for you or I'm standing in this moment with you, but he said, take my hand and let's walk together. That was the second piece that God put together yesterday. I'm like, there are still so many more pieces and I know that it's, God's gonna take his time to put each one, one by one. And I spent $60 for the encounter. Well, actually not my, my husband did, I don't have any money for this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but what I received yesterday was priceless. Um, now I know who I am. Um, I know my identity. I know my purpose. And, and I'm so grateful for, I'm grateful to God for bringing us here to Windsor, to this church. Because um, that's something that we didn't even imagine, not even in our wildest dreams. Um, and I'd like to just thank Pastor RJ, Pastor Mary, Pastor Larry, and all the guides who really guided us and, you know, 
<laughs> enabled me to come up here and testify boldly because I am not that person. I'm not this, I was not this person. Um, I'd like to end it like this. Um, grace means favor and Lynn means fine jade or gem. Until God gives me a new name or he chooses to continue with my current name. My name is Grace Lynn. I'm God's favorite gem. Check. So that was my wife. <laughs> Um, hey, uh, morning church family. I, I really love calling you as family and that's something that I'm getting to used to for the past few months. And um, just want to introduce myself, I'm Cecil. Uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna get straight into it. Um, so I had my thoughts about the encounter and uh, kind of wrote this down so that I don't forget what I wanted to say. I'm gonna be straight to the point. So um, I was actually thinking, why should I go to the encounter and uh, what am I going to uh, receive from it? Especially um, being a Christian all my life since my birth. And now uh, there are two, thing, two reasons why I, would, I wouldn't wanna go to the encounter because encounters kind of like get us close to God and then it's a, it makes us all teary and messy. I don't want to get into that situation. I want to just stay where I am, have things in my control, right? Uh, and uh, so I didn't want to really go to the encounter. I was finding reasons not to go, uh, but my wife, she signed up for it. And um, we ha I had thought in my mind, God, that if uh, I am going to the encounter, that there's something that I should be receiving from it. Um, otherwise, let me not go. Somehow there were reasons for me to avoid, but still the Holy Spirit led me to the, the encounter. And, um, but now that I took part in that, I can say that it was one of the best decisions that I've made. And it was uh, a content-packed day for my soul, my spirit, and my, uh, my body. And little that I knew that I needed this. There was a lot that I received from each of the sessions. There were about eight sessions, and there was so many things that I uh, received. Uh, but I wanted to share three things that were actually the highlights of my encounter experience. Uh, the first session, just as Grace uh, said, uh, it was about the cross and uh, being reminded about the cross and the great suffering that Jesus went through for me was a reminder that I needed. So often, uh, come to church, pray, and uh, sing songs, the words mean a lot, but uh, wasn't really feeling that in my heart. But today's worship hit me different because after the encounter, I was I was able to live and kind of feel all of those words and give praise to God. It was such a difference that I could experience. Yeah, praise to God. And uh, at the end of the uh, the cross, uh, the, the session, uh, we were actually uh, called to come to the cross and submit uh, any of the heaviness uh, and confess confess it and let it be released. So I've never walked up to the uh, into the front of the church when there's an altar call. I feel that there's bringing attention to me. I don't wanna bring attention. I just wanna stay behind and stay back where I am. I know I speak to God that God, you hear me. Uh, you know my heart and you can hear me. Why should I go up to the front to do that? I could just talk to you from where I'm sitting. But um, the Holy Spirit kind of helped me to get out of that 
uh, get out of my place and say, God, you brought me here and that's for a purpose. I'm going to go to the cross and let it out and be free. And I went to the cross and once I confessed it, I felt a lot lighter. I experienced that. And um, once we were back, uh, sessions followed and then there was a few sessions. And after a really good lunch, uh, we had a deliverance session. And the uh, guides kind of took turns to pray for each of us. And there were two guides for each of us praying. And uh, I could not talk. Um, so the moment I walked up to be prayed by the guides, I was not able to talk what was in my heart. Although I had confessed at the cross, I still felt that there is some part of it still uh, holding on to me. And when I walked up to the, the guys, I was not able to let that out. But slowly, slowly, with their encouragement and their prayers, I was able to talk it out. And But uh, the, the prayer and the encouragement, especially after, I mean, they kind of prayed for me. And then I felt like once I said it out, it was so much of a burden out of my heart. And I felt so light that I've never been feeling like that for a really long time. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a kind of person who feels like, like, why should I go to the other person for help when I can handle it on my own? But that God, God made me realize that I do need someone to share to, or I need to speak it out so that that guilt goes out of my heart and be free. And uh, that kind of like, I felt like the Holy Spirit is opening doors for me after that confession, being, of, uh, being free from that, uh, that heaviness in my heart. I, I really hope that God's going to uh, wonderfully work in my life after that. The prayers and the, the prophecies that the guides made was really uh, uh, amazing, and it felt and it touched my heart. So that was the second experience. And the last one, um, right after the session was the Holy Spirit, uh, and uh, people, I mean, they were, they were encouraging, there were encouraging words that uh, greater is he who is in me than who is in the world. Uh, that stood out for me. And... Uh, we were offered to be prayed, and um, whoever wants to be filled in the Holy Spirit will come up and we'll pray for you. That's uh, where the guides were all standing up. And then um, I straight went to Pastor Larry, and uh, I told him that, uh, Pastor Larry, I have uh, spoken in tongues a long time back, but uh, there is this kind of uh, doubt in me that uh, am I really speaking in tongues? Or am I just uh, saying something because of that? I'm trying to fool myself and also fool God. But... Pastor Larry reminded me that the Holy Spirit never left me. It was always there. And it was just the enemy using my doubt to uh, say that you are not doing it right or you're, you're just fooling yourself and you're fooling God. He, when he helped me remind that and when we, when we prayed together, I was able to speak back in tongues and let go out of my, out of my doubt. And uh, I was really filled in the spirit. I could feel it. After that, I came back and was so happy that I've never been so happy like that, enjoying the worship and the songs that was happening. And uh, all, the, all the while, it was just me being ignorant of that lie, uh, just being ignorant and just believing the lie. And I, I really appreciate uh, everyone, uh, the guides and the pastor, um, uh, for making that uh, this encounter happen and uh, the amount of work that they've put in. I mean, uh, for us to come and receive something uh, is different, but uh, they've prepared it all the while, and God has so much talents bestowed upon them, and I was happy that I was able to receive from all of the sessions. And if you would ask me if I'd go for another encounter, I'd keep going every time that happens again. Thank you.
so um, we did have a really good weekend. Freaking out my brain a little bit. Got lots I want to say to you. Um, James, you need to come up here for a second, though. This is called putting a demand on the gift, but you have to tell people what you just heard. I don't know what you just heard, but you need to tell them that. Please. Well, what I heard when I was sitting there is he was going to ask me to come up. I didn't even make eye contact. No, and I'm not kidding you. He said, get ready. I said, for what? He said, because where my spirit is, there is freedom. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. How many felt this morning that there is a weight that was lifted off? How many felt a freedom? Yes. Who went on the encounter? Everyone who went on the encounter, stand up. Everyone. Everyone. So you saw from the very beginning of the day where there was a heaviness and then there was a lifting. So there was like a fog in here. I don't know if you could see it. I could see it. But as the day was going on, there was like a wind that was blowing through. That was the wind of the Holy Spirit. It's still here today. If this whole church were serious, like in the days, back in, in the days when the children of Israel, when they knew that the enemy was coming, the, the king would say, let's have a fast. They would fast and pray for three days because they wanted to have the spirit of the Lord. They wanted to have the victory, but they knew that they had to get on their knees because they served the one true living God and he was their deliverer. We heard the song, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. That same God is here today. He hasn't changed. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can tell you, church, do you want revival here? then the whole church should be at, a, at an encounter. For those of you that could have made it and did make it, you missed it. That is what the Lord is saying. That you want things outside of this, these walls to happen? Well, he's asking us to get back to where we should be. Get back to our foundation of where we get on our hands and knees, we fast and we pray. And when we fast and pray, this city changes. You want revival? There's a reformation that has to happen at the top. Then you need the fire of the Holy Spirit that starts to, to move on the people. And when those two things come together, you have a revival. What will it take to get a revival? Fasting and praying as a church. Participating in events like this where we all come together and help others get set free. And then witness it get set free. Because today when we're praising worship, I'm over there and I'm saying, God, there's freedom here. There's freedom here. There's freedom here. I knew I was coming up. I didn't want to come up. But I knew I was. Because this message is not an easy message to tell you. That we have to get serious with him. We want change. We have to sacrifice. And how do we sacrifice? We're obedient to him. He asks us to fast and pray. He's calling us as a church to fast and pray. So all of you that came, he's not done with you. And for those of you that didn't come, he's starting with you. And it starts. Yesterday it started. There is a change happening. At the end of the night when I was in the room with the men, there was Grandma Coven was prophesying over an individual there. 
about what he saw him doing. His prophecy to this man was identical to the one that the Lord showed me about nine months ago. Identical. And that sparked something in me. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on me, and I, I was talking passionately Sharing. about what God is doing and what he's doing in these men. And Ezekiel 37 came up, which is what he gave me about eight years ago about what he's doing in this church. So men who thought that you were dead, there's some here, some people here that thought that God gave up on them, that you dried up, that there's no life to you. Ezekiel 37 says that he said to the man, he says, oh man of God, prophesy to these dry bones. And then you saw some movement, or you heard movement, then you saw movement, and then you saw the bones coming together, and then you saw flesh wrapping around. And then he said, prophesy to the breath in him. And then there's spirit of life that came in. Guess what? That prophecy is for this region. That prophecy is for you. Some of you felt dried up that the Holy Spirit was drawing dead. He is not dead. As a matter of fact, when the, everybody that was in that area, the dry bones, they were all defeated soldiers. They were all defeated men of God. They were all defeated warriors. That the enemy thought that he had devastated them, that they were gone. But there's a resurrection life. There's a resurrection spirit. And that's happening here. Catch it. It's yours. Because he's raising you up. He's raising this congregation up to be a lamp and a light out there. And I can tell you, it starts through us getting on our knees, knowing that the God of, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, is still the God today. And when we do this, we'll see more of that. Amen? Amen. That's all I have to say. God bless you guys. Thanks, man. You can set it down there. Shake, rattle, and roll. God shakes us. The dry bones come together. We rattle, and then we roll with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Thank you. In today's topic, I am the resurrection and the life. From John 11, Jesus told her, I'm the resurrection and life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. We know that he was talking to the people in Bethany. Uh, the sisters, Mary and Martha, were there. They had buried their brother Lazarus, who was a friend of Jesus. But he, in the middle of a situation where there was grief and loss, brought hope with this statement. I am life. I am resurrection. And in the middle of a situation that was devastating to them, all of the sudden, he was bringing hope in life. And, and eventually, you know, the, the Jewish ruling council that most of his I am statements were aimed to eventually, they heard about this. And their response, if you read the, it was, what are we going to do about this guy? If he keeps going, the Romans are going to come and they're going to shut down our scheme. Okay. Their system of worship. And, and they made money off of this, right? Like, that's why he got upset with the money changers, because they were making money off of people's worship at that time. And, and what I don't understand, though, 
and, and you can look at Acts 23 later. I'm not gonna have time to go there right now, but the Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, but the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection or the afterlife or spirits or any of those things, demons, angels. They didn't believe in that. I don't understand why when Lazarus got raised from the dead, the first thing the Pharisees did, like they did in Acts 23, is go after the Sadducees and say, see, we told you there's life after death. But instead, they wanted to protect those things that they thought that they had. And they decided that not only did they want to kill Jesus, (laughs) um, you can read it in John 12, they also decided that they needed to kill Lazarus. Because of him, many people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. Now, I want you to understand this, okay? So there's two sisters that live in a little town called Bethany, kind of, you know, podunk, caught them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> little town, okay. <laughs> And, and there's this itinerant minister who happens to be the son of God, Jesus, okay? And, and the sisters bury their brother, and four days later, the itinerant minister comes into town, declares that I am, uses the name of God, declares himself the resurrection, I am life, I am resurrection, okay? He calls a dead man back to life, and this is a young man. And everybody gets pretty excited about this, and they start following after this itinerant minister, The religious leaders are so upset that this dead guy came back to life and people aren't following their way that was dead and powerless that they want to kill the guy that got raised. Think about the absurdity of that. Think about that for a second. Isn't that crazy? And then later on in the narrative, the high priest, because of his office, and he did this a few times in the scriptures, The Spirit of God would come on him because of his role, and he would prophesy. And he eventually says, it's better for you that one man should die for the people than the whole nation to be destroyed. And he prophesied that Jesus was gonna die on behalf of all the people. But we know that Jesus, he declared himself, and he is life. Where Jesus is, is life. Resurrection can't happen without Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no resurrection, there's no life. Death and grave cannot hold him in. Jesus cannot be held by death or the grave because he is life. Let's go to 1 John chapter five. And the testimony is this, God has given us eternal life, we already possess it, and this life is in his son resulting in our spiritual completeness and eternal companionship with him. He who has the son by accepting him as Lord and Savior, has the life that is eternal. He who does not have the Son by personal faith does not have the life. With Jesus, you have eternal life. Without Jesus, you don't have life because Jesus is life. The same is true for you today, 2023. Whether you listen to Christmas music in September or October or November, or not at all because you don't believe in Jesus, right? Like, see, this is the thing. Whether you believe in him or not, you either have him and have life or you don't have him and you will not live forever with God. You will live forever apart from God, but that is not life. When Jesus resurrected on the Sunday morning, first day of the week, as the new day was dawning, 
Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they went out to visit the tomb and suddenly it says there was a great earthquake. The angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. Okay. His face shone like lightning, his clothing was white as snow. The guards shook with fear and when they saw him, they all fell into a dead faint. And you'd fall into a dead faint if you saw an angel that came from the presence of God too. Okay. Then the angel spoke to the woman, do not be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. What does the next line say? One of the greatest lines in the whole Bible. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. That statement separates Christianity from every other world religion because every other world religion founder starter is in a grave. They have a tomb with their name on it. Jesus has a tomb, but he's not in it. There's no body in it. Because when he rose from the dead, because he is risen, he isn't here, he isn't dead anymore, he's still alive today. Just as he said it was happening. So I threw this in today for fun. How many of you know what the Nazareth inscription is? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. So some years ago, there was a marble document or a marble um, scroll kind of thing, about two feet by 15 inches um, long. And it was an edict of the Caesar. Now, I'm going to read you an English translation of it because it wasn't written in English. And I'm going to tell you that scholars and archaeologists have been fighting about this thing for decades. And the, the heart of the fight is, we're not really sure which Caesar declared the edict. People have evidence for Caesar Augustus, which was the one that was kind of there when Jesus was born, or Tiberius, the one after, or Claudius, the one after. You guys got to study up on your Roman emperors, right? Okay. Um, they're not sure if it was the second one, the third one, the first one. And if it was related to the resurrection of Christ or if it was related to something else, like for instance, the marble that it was inscribed on came from a little island off Greece and there was a leader there named Nicholas, Nicias. And, and on the island, it was Kos was the name of the island, K-O-S. And, and anyway, but like, so were they raiding his tomb trying to say that he was alive or were they, were they, were they you know, we don't know. And the truth is, we don't need this to prove the resurrection, but I just thought it was interesting in this context. But here's the edict from Caesar, translated into English. And they even fight over the translation, but that's not my point. It is my decision, this is the emperor, concerning graves and tombs. Whoever has made them for religious observances of parents or children or household members, that they remain undisturbed forever. But if anyone legally charges that another person has destroyed or has in any manner extracted those who have been buried or has moved with wicked intent those who have been buried to other places committing a crime against them or has moved a sepulcher ceiling stone or the, you know, the stone that got rolled away against a person, I order that a judicial tribunal be created just as it's done concerning the gods and human religious observances. Even more so will it be obligatory to treat with honor those who have been entombed. You are absolutely not to allow anyone to move those who have been entombed. But if someone does, I wish the violator to suffer capital punishment under the title of tomb breaker. Now, I want you to understand something historically. For thousands of years, people have robbed graves. Okay, there's grave robbers. 
They go, but normally a grave robber breaks into the tomb and they steal the jewelry and the valuables that are in the tomb from the person who is deceased. We doing okay? It's a civil matter if they, if they get caught and go to courts. It's a minor crime. And the family can sue the person to get some monetary re, re, um, repayment for what they stole out of the tomb. Okay, it's a civil matter. It's not usually a capital case. I just find it interesting <laughs> that suddenly somewhere around the first century AD, somewhere in that time, the emperor decides to issue a decree for a sudden problem arose that all sudden people were stealing bodies out of tombs. And this is not a Stephen King novel. My instinct tells me it probably happened sometime after the events recorded in Matthew 28. In verse 11, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went in the city and told the leading priests what happened. A meeting with the elders was called and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. The governor hears about it. We'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. And the story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. Now you're missing a couple things here. Number one, those guards, their life would have been forfeit if they fell asleep on duty. You forget about this, right? Like their job, they had one job. Don't let anyone steal the body. And then they're actually admitting, yeah, his disciples came and took it while we were sleeping. That's not gonna help your case for life. You're gonna be a dead guy, okay? But anyway, they took the money, they took the bribe, they started telling the story. And then sometime later, it seems that the emperor hears about this Jesus guy that is no longer in the tomb. And he hears that the disciples stole the body and now they're claiming he's alive. I'm thinking Jesus gave the emperor such a hard time or the message of hope gave the emperor such a hard time because of all the Christians that were leaving emperor worship and idol worship and started following the way that he issued this decree that if anyone gets caught stealing tombs, the tomb robbers, you're, you're dead. We're gonna kill you if you steal a body from the tomb. Yeah, I just find it interesting. <sighs> Enough about that. First Corinthians 15, 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first of a great harvest of all who died. If you see, just as death came in the world through a man, that's Adam, when him and Eve partook of the forbidden fruit, tree of knowledge, good and evil. Now the resurrection from the dead began through another man. That's Jesus, who is resurrection, who is life. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life, but there's an order of this resurrection. Christ was raised the first of the harvest. And, and when it talks about the first, see, throughout history, there has been people that were resurrected before Lazarus. If you remember back, Elijah had the widow in, uh, was it Zarephath? The little city outside of Israel, the widow in Zarephath. Her son died and Elijah went over there and raised him back to life. And he lived for a while and then he died again. Lazarus, Jesus raised him up, he lived for a while and then he died again, physically. Did he have eternal life? It seems, okay. But see, Jesus was the first one who got raised to new life and he won't die anymore. He won't ever die again. He's still alive today. 
And, and, and that's the difference. So there's an order to this. All who belong to Christ will be raised when he returns. So this is hope. Can everyone say hope? For people through all ages that death is not the end, we live beyond the grave and we will meet him again because he is resurrection and he is life. The resurrection of Jesus inspires us and calls us to live a holy life. It empowers us to live a holy life. In Romans 8, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of God living in you. Remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus. Sorry, my doorbell just went off. (laughs) I tried to do this and it opened. Okay, there we go. Trying to read here. Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if you do through the power of the spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. All who are led by the spirit are children of God. What it's saying is, When you have Christ in you, his spirit within you, it gives you the ability to die to the flesh. You don't have to sin anymore. You don't have to choose ungodly behavior, unrighteousness, and sin. You can choose righteousness and doing what is right and living in the fruit of the spirit. There's a lifestyle change that happens and his spirit empowers you. His spirit within you empowers you to live a holy life. Holiness is something that Christians can Live. They can live a holy life. You won't live a perfect life, but you can live a holy life. And then in Philippians 3.10, I know, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I'll experience the resurrection of the dead. Where Jesus is, there is only life. When Jesus is present, death and sickness fade away. When he's present, things begin to shift. You cannot have Jesus present in your life in fear at the same time. Perfect love from Jesus being present casts out fear is what the word of God says. So if you're operating in fear, then perfect love is not present in your life. And we do this because we we hybrid this all the time and we have a little bit of Jesus. You know, I'm gonna to go to church on Sunday and get a little bit of Jesus, but what are you doing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Is Jesus part of your life? Is he guiding you? Is he directing you? Is he speaking to you? Are you spending time with him? Are you doing relationship with Jesus? Or is it just something you do on Sunday morning so your conscience feels better about what you did last night? I'm just asking a question. Stand with me. You know, as we come to the table for communion, as we call it, in John 6, Jesus says these words. He says, so Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. And for many people, you know, they take this, 
more literally, oh, you have to eat his blood and his body, and they develop doctrines that literally transform this into his physical blood, and, you know, baloney. Anyway, I don't want to go there. He's talking about his statement, I am the bread of life. And if you partake of me, if you partake of me, who is life, Jesus says, you will live forever. If you have my spirit within you, you're going to live forever. When you come to the table, when you celebrate my covenant meal, the broken bread, the body that's broken, the blood that was shed for our sins on the cross, this is why we partake of this and we celebrate his death until he comes. Why do we want to celebrate death? Because he's no longer dead. He's alive. And every time we celebrate his death, it points us to something. Jesus is alive. It points us to the resurrection and the life. And it doesn't matter what's happening in your life, what's going on all around you. Let the life of God come in. Let the life of God rise up. So, Father, as we have the bread in our hands today, I thank you that when Jesus walks into our life, that things begin to shift, that sickness and disease begin to vanish. They begin to fade away. That emotional health comes forth and anxiety and fear have to go in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that in his brokenness, Jesus made a way for us to be whole. And as we take the bread in faith that looks beyond our circumstance, that hopes beyond hope, that today you meet us right where we're at, God. Right where we're at. Not because of our works, but because of Jesus and his life in us. Fathers, we have the cup in our hands. You know, the blood of the new covenant, it really, the cross changed everything. And it purchased our freedom from sin and it paid the penalty for sin, which was death. And he exchanged us from a penalty of death to eternal life by the power of his blood as a sacrifice for us. And Jesus, you shed your blood for freedom You shed your blood so that we can overcome fear. That we can walk in righteousness, peace, and joy, which is your kingdom. So today, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all need you. We all need you to save us. We all need your resurrection life within us to empower us to overcome sin in this world that we live in. So let hope arise in the hearts of every man and woman that's at the sound of my voice today whether in the room or online somewhere around the world. Let hope arise because Jesus is alive and Jesus is life. Let your life arise in our hearts and let your hope arise so that we can live the resurrected life with you today. In Jesus' name. So church, today as you're standing here, 12, 19 p.m., October 1st, 2023. The message of hope has been delivered to your heart today. You've been given tools. 
You've been given words of encouragement. You've had the word of God. You've had the prophetic word come forth. You've had some songs sang that declare, I am who I say I am. The promises of God, we declare them out over our life. The truth of Jesus being the resurrection and the life, let it become a reality to you today. Let it become your marching orders that you realize that this life can't hurt you because it's not your place or your eternal home. It's a temporary part of the journey. So Windsor Christian Fellowship, you've been equipped, now go.